and welcome to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Arye Lightstone. You can listen to us on jmandtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Very excited today. Number one is the weather was good enough. We can make it into the studio, so that was a pretty exciting thing. Number two is, at least today, Snowmageddon has taken a little bit of break, and we have a chance to get back to work. And I almost feel as though we are in the middle of a Yontif season, where we're trying to cram two to three days' worth of available work time, an entire month worth of work. So that just sort of seems to be the January feeling. Maybe this is why we've got two Adars this year. We have more of a chance until we run into the Pesach Passover crunch. We are very excited to try to maximize this hour that we have today on Tech Talk. And in order to do so, I'm bringing in probably a guest that I have both anticipated uh, for the longest time since having hosted the show and comes with a resume that has incredible breadth. But what I think is unique about the breadth that he brings to the table is that in each of the segments, there's also a considerable amount of depth. We've spoken with, uh, with a bunch of other entrepreneurs and tech types uh, who've spoken about focusing on one thing and, and drilling as deep as you can go to be an expert in that particular regard. And uh, and we're here to present a second look at the entrepreneurial scene with somebody who's really been able to see a tremendous scope of that. And I'm excited to welcome today with us my dear friend Aaron Schoenfeld. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on, and I appreciate coming into the studio. It's a lot more fun to be able to have a conversation, get to you know, interact, see expressions, um, and uh, and for me, it's more uh, more enjoyable as the host. It's not just Avrami and myself in here, which is you know fun. And thank you to Avrami for enabling the show to work today. Uh, we really appreciate it. Always does a phenomenal job on the Nachum Siegel Network. So, Aaron grew up in Woodmere, uh, went to Rambam, uh, then after that Yeshiva University. Is that no Queens, Queens College. College? Yeah, I knew as the second left my mouth, I knew that I was saying the wrong thing. I apologize. And then after that, what did you do? Uh, after that, I you know well. My story sort of starts in Queens College. Um, I actually worked at Arthur Anderson as an intern during my junior year. I was the only person from my entire year to have an offer going into the summer before senior year. Um, everyone else got offers shortly thereafter from other firms. And about a day before I graduated college, I got a letter from Arthur Anderson that the firm was no longer in existence. Um, keep your signing bonus and go find another job. I uh, got lucky, worked in, I found another job, um, worked in accounting for a couple of years, and then one night met a guy at a bar playing darts. Wait, 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 slow down. We're going to get to the oh. bar and the darts in a second. I had no idea about the Arthur Anderson component, oh. and one of the things we try to do on Tech Talk is we try to find out what the uh, makeup of people's personality to be able to handle what I would call non-traditional careers, and being an entrepreneur, I think you would agree with me, is probably a non-traditional career. So you're riding high post-junior year with an offer from a very upstanding, reputable, exciting firm, and especially as a unique person to be able to have received that offer, you get the letter in the mail saying that that offer doesn't exist. How do you react? Um, it wasn't as bad as I thought. I mean, my, thank God my father is you know usually very good at keeping up to date with what's going on and also seeing what's ahead, um, you know. He sort of planted in my head that Arthur Anderson's having some trouble. You may want to figure out some other options. So at that point, I'd already started considering what can I do. Um, I started studying for the GMAT, so I figured if I can't get a job, I'll go to business school. So, you know, I mean, the first side of me was like, great, they let me keep the signing bonus. So, yeah, that was really the first reaction. But, um, you know, I sort of had plans or had an idea of what I wanted to do, so it didn't you know, it took a day or two of this thing to really, you know, settle in. But, you know, really, I just got back up, took the GMATs and uh, found one or two programs that, based on my internship experience, they would take me into the grad school. Okay, so I'm understanding two different things from here, just to highlight for the audience. Number one is, uh, with your advisor, in that case, your father was aware of what might be coming. So that was, you know, a way to, to sort of cushion that. And the second one is, yeah, it does sting. Don't Don't think even if you anticipated it, 
that that you know letter was you weren't excited to see the letter necessary, but you you, you got up, brushed that off, and and you immediately jumped into what the next opportunity was going Look, to be. Look, p- people get laid off all the time, and yet it, it's horrible when you get laid off. But sometimes you do find a better job, and you know again everything's an experience. And you know for me, and you know sort of as we go through this more, you know we'll talk about different experiences. But you know I've I've learned at least at this point looking back that everything happens, you know, and there's an experience and a learning lesson from it. So being able to take that and you know learning that corporate lesson just about companies and you know that hey sometimes it's out of your control um yeah i learned it at a very early stage where i probably didn't want to but you know it, it served me well in the long run i was going to say there aren't a lot of stages earlier than having received the acceptance letter before the first day but they did let you keep the signing bonus which is you know obviously important we're here on the nachum siegel network uh it's Arya lightstone we have a special guest on today aaron schoenfeld who is walking us through sort of his path in terms of how he went from accounting, uh, which I would call a very traditional career, uh, with very specific metrics and sort of the the path that makes sense, and and how we got into entrepreneurship, it's going to involve liquor and darts in a little bit. So we're gonna we're gonna get to that uh, uh, in a moment. Did you know, you know, going into Queens or or even going into college in the first place, that business was something that you wanted to do? Um, I knew it was business. I've been involved in business since I was a little kid, from selling office supplies at the pool in my bungalow colony to video rental businesses, um, you know, the crockpot liners and the oven liners. When the guy first came out with that, he knew me through my father and always selling different samples. He came to us and we went door to door selling it and doing boutiques. So I've been involved in business probably since I was six or seven years old. So I knew I was going to do something with business, you know, but like every, everyone else, you know, I'll graduate, I'll be a CEO of some company or, you know, in the accounting path, you know, you do a couple of years and all of a sudden you run a company and you're the CFO. So, yeah, that was originally my, uh, my thought process. See, it's interesting. We were in college around the same time. The guys that I knew who were mostly in sales, Mostly at that point in time, I think saw themselves in you know sort of trading or or the investment banking track. What was it about accounting that that spoke to you in that direction? The only person I knew in Queens College when I went in was an accounting major, and she told me uh, take these classes; they're not too hard. <laughs> that was that was my impetus behind going into accounting. The man who introduced crockpot liners to the five towns became an accountant because he listened to the girl who told him what to register for. Well, the truth be told, that makes a fair amount of sense. I wonder. If one were to write a research thesis, how many people's careers are shaped based upon the first academic advisor that they run into uh, or the person that they knew in that school before? And that's just, you know, as a separate aside, I think would be an interesting uh, research study done. There's a, I have a similar concept in terms of older siblings, in terms of what uh, what maps that. But I believe you're the oldest in the family. So yep. and maybe you, you were the trendsetter uh, in the Schoenfeld house. Um <clears throat> So after not getting the letter, so or after getting the letter, getting to keep the signing bonus, what's next? You brush yourself off. What what was the next thing that you did? Well, I started business school. I started at Hofstra and then moved to Baruch. But um, I also found the job. My recruiter from Arthur Anderson found uh, found me and got me a job out at a firm in Long Island. Um, great experience, smaller firm, but uh, really learned a lot. I uh, was there for about two years, then decided, hey, I, you know, again, wanted to be the CFO of a company, needed the big four experience. So sure. at that point, went to Ernst & Young, got a job there, um, you know, switched to Baruch. And at that point, once I switched, I already started to know, like, maybe this isn't for me. Um, and at that point, you, you know, I my roommates at the time when I moved to the city, every semester I would sign up for grad school classes for Baruch and then pretty much drop them the day of, you know, the first day of class, I can get the full refund back. And I put it off. I mean, I basically went to medical school. It took me seven years to finish a part-time MBA. Um, but, you know, once you get that feel of you switch and you sort of see what else is out there, I mean, at that point, just with my experiences, I knew that accounting wasn't necessarily the path I wanted. But at that point, entrepreneurship or technology and stuff wasn't even on the radar. How long were you at Ernst & Young for? Uh, I probably was officially working there for two and a half years. How much I actually did, you know, probably feels like a year and a half. When you come in in the middle, you know, you're sort of, it's like switching schools in the middle of a year. You're sort of that lost kid, you know, everyone starts together and that becomes a class. So, you know, I, I did my time. See, that's an interesting thing. For those listening out there who, you know, don't have a relationship with somebody who's done accounting before, and there really is a very specific uh, class setting uh, that when you come in, whether it's the first year or second year, it's just sort of how it progresses 
in terms of that. And there's almost a, a recognition in terms of you are who you are based upon the time served in the accounting world. And I've got a dear friend that I'm, I'm just having these conversations with now because he's ready for that next step. But that's the first time that, that you don't just graduate based upon your age, if you will, but you graduate based upon certain metrics. But nobody really told them what those metrics are. So it's an interesting thing, but there is a prescribed path in order to sort of get where you're going in public accounting. And you discovered at some point in time, I guess, in your seven-year MBA program that uh, that maybe that wasn't necessarily for you. So what, what were some of the signs that maybe tipped you off in that direction, or was it just ambivalence at work? Um, it, it was I really had too much time to think on my hands at work. You know, you're, you're not – you know, when you start, you get assigned to clients, and you, you really work on those clients over time and build up and move up the ladder. When you come in in the middle, um, no one really knows you. They bump you down to levels. You have to prove yourself. They put you on the random job here or there, a lot of admin work. And when you start thinking about it, you start saying, okay, did I make the right move? And, again, it's not – thinking, you know, anywhere outside the box. It's it's first asking yourself, did I make the right move? Should I have stayed there? And once you start questioning things like, well, what else can I do? And you start looking at clients, and, oh, I could do that better or I could do this. And it's just that you have the time and ideas popping in your head or you're, you're thinking about ways to help your client make money. And w- once your brain starts working and, you know, it's really, you know, people joke that, you know, with accounting and auditing, you know, a monkey could do it. You're counting someone else's money. You know, does it all match? Yeah, but once you start thinking outside the box and you're given a little room to, you know, sort of stretch your mind, um, you know, you just never know what happens. Okay. So by being exposed to some of the businesses that were out there, A, you had a chance to sort of put yourself proverbially in their shoes, but also because the time that you had when you walked into E&Y, you had a little bit more perhaps time on your hand or some mental gymnastics opportunity. You started to... Uh, you know, again, I don't know if doubt or question, but but to expand your, your horizons in terms of what you wanted to do. And now for the moment that our audience has been waiting for, I wanted to remind everybody, that's a nice tease, right, <laughs> that they're listening to the Tech Talk show on the Nachum Siegel Network. You're listening to R.E. Lightstone, your host as always. You can listen to us on jmandtheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. As always, we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, much more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Just uh, as a note, I had an employee who just uh, had a successful milestone, and I was wondering what to get them. I I happened to be uh, on 18th Street, so I walked into Adorama, and they were incredibly helpful and uh, and suggested a cool little tablet out there that I hadn't seen before. So that was fun, very helpful, uh, excellent pricing, and and wonderful service. So uh, make sure to to support our sponsors, please. We're on with Aaron Schoenfeld, who is telling us about his relatively traditional upbringing of selling crockpot liners and being entrepreneurial and then somehow thinking that accounting is the right career, discovering while being an accountant that that wasn't necessarily the right career, and now we're getting to the time in the bar playing darts. I've never actually played darts in a bar, but I've you know seen it on a sitcom or whatever, but you did it, so let's see what happens. Well, I'll give a shout-out to my friend Jonathan Reich uh, for dragging me out. Um, but we went to a – it was Halloween 2004. We went to an Irish pub on the Upper West Side, um, played darts. It was actually my first time playing darts, basically just throw it and pray it sticks. Um, and we were playing against a dancer and a guy dressed as a priest. So literally, as my bio reads, a Jew and a priest walk into a bar. Um, turns out the guy dressed as a priest was a composer from Juilliard. Um he wanted to start a music production company using classical talent and real Jule- Juilliard talent, the high-end music. Um, so I said, hey, I'm an accountant looking to start a business. Didn't know how to start a business, but that's a separate point. So he said, okay, let's talk. So he told me what he wants to do. I said, okay, let's start it. So we decided to start a company on the spot. And then I went home and looked up what Juilliard was. It's funny. He probably went home and looked up what an accountant was. So this was probably an excellent relationship to start. Okay. Most likely, yes. <laughs> and so so you, you went home and looked up what Juilliard was. And what was your reaction when you discovered what it was? Um, that maybe he actually is a good composer. That was my first thought. Then I went and bought a book on music production for dummies and a book on how to start a business. Okay. And, you know, after that, I mean, we... You know, we, it was just one of these things, you know, I guess it's like dating, you know, you meet someone you just know, it, it just really worked. Um, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what we wanted to do and how we wanted to do it. But ultimately we decided, um, to create a company called Dream Artist Studios, a boutique music production company. And, um, you know, the first story of just how we even got started is kind of interesting. Um, we saw that someone was potentially leaving Nightline on ABC. 
Um, so I told my partner, if you write some music for it, I'll try and get it into ABC. So he writes music, he writes a whole demo, gives it to me. I try and no one answers. Can you pause for one yep. second? Because when oh. we had this conversation offline, uh, you explained to me, and I had no idea what it was. When somebody leaves who's a key person, wh- why is that an opportunity to put music on? Well, just think, you've got your intro music for this show. And it's excellent intro music. Thank you, Avrami. Well, it, it's great, but it's not composed by Dream Artists. So ah, well, they, we'll talk about that, okay? <laughs> no problem. But um, but really, so if you leave the show, whoever takes over and is the next host wants their own brand and their own personality. It has their graphics. It has their, you know, they really have control. As much as, you know, there's a producer for a show, um, at the end of the day, it's the person that runs the show, whether it's the, the lead anchor, you know, they want their brand. They're building their brand through it. So, you know, we looked at it as an opportunity to potentially get into ABC and, you know, write new music because we assumed that they would do new graphics. You know, even most of the new shows now will say this week with George Stephanopoulos, he leaves, you need all new graphics. So things like that. So that's sort of what, uh, you know, what sort of pushed us to get started in that direction. That's really interesting. So, so, so this guy leaves, um, the, the new anchor leaves on Nightline. Was that right? I, it was one of those shows. Yeah. One of the shows. And, and you tell your, uh, you tell, uh, your partner if they compose something, you're going to get it onto ABC News because you're an accountant. And obviously ABC is going to listen to the accountant. Okay. So how does that work? So he writes music, um, all done, you know, at his studio and he gives it to me. You know, we make a link, we make a fancy web page for ABC. This is what it could look like. We synced it to their old graphics so they could see it, you know, visualize it and hear it at the same time. Um, and we just tried, you know, email, cold call, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, well, there was no Facebook back then, <laughs> but, um, basically tried every means possible to get it in right. Cold, you know, cold call letters, um, no success. So it ends up the person that was supposed to leave decided not to. So it was a moot point regardless. But um, you, the rest of the story is that my partner gave it to his mother in Jacksonville, Florida, who gave it to her friend in Florida, who gave it to her godson in Omaha, Nebraska, um, a young guy out of college. Um, I don't think he was an accountant, but he wanted to start his own marketing business. So he said, hey, I'll get this into ABC for you for a commission. We said, sure. Two days later, we had a phone call with the executive producer for a bunch of shows on ABC News. He had sent it. Priority overnight mail, like basically everything on it, like someone's dying, you have to read this letter um, with a very simple letter saying, hey, we'd really be interested in working with you. Here's a link to our demo. Um, the guy listened to it, liked it, said, hey, call this number tomorrow every hour until you get this guy. Um, he has a small project for you. It turns out that that small project was writing the theme for Good Morning America. Um, you know, one of the advantages you know, uh, of our company was we were small, we were young and hungry. Some, the person that had worked with ABC News on these shows for the past, I guess they were so used to doing it. They were so complacent. By the time they submitted their first version, we'd already finalized the new music for Good Morning America with them. Um, so the other company, after 20 years of working with the same person, was sort of kicked out. And, you know, we got very lucky that it, it was a great experience. And after that, we've done pretty much all the new music for ABC News. So... The accountant, the priest who went to Juilliard, uh, composed the music for a show that the host wasn't actually leaving, uh, but somehow through somebody's godson in Omaha winds up getting it there, and you guys have the the opportunity. Now, excuse somebody who's a little bit naive, or, or maybe not naive, I'm not positive what even the right word is to describe uh, sort of how that is, but I, I'm sort of sitting here, what, the ABC, what's so wow? about what you presented was it the timing was it the product what was the what do you think the key ingredients were in order for that to happen because it seems the most unlikely of all stories um the only answer is god okay i mean really it's uh it's complete luck it's complete timing had we sent that letter two days earlier two days later missed the phone call um, we never even would have had that opportunity. It was really a matter of right place, right time. But, you know, as the expression goes, luck's an accumulation of hard work. You know, we spent a year and a half just formulating the company. You know, what music's going to be on our demo? What's our website going to look like? What's that page that we send ABC going to look like? So, you know, really spending the time and doing it right, um, especially your first opportunity to make an impression, um, I think that's really what got us the opportunity. You know, looking back, even that was 2006 um, was our first job. So it started in 2005. 
we met with the people, the head of music and business for ABC News, uh, for ABC Disney globally this past year. And he told us, he goes, had I known that there was a new company trying to get in and doing this um, before the last day it went on the air, I never would have even allowed you to do it because we have our preferred vendors. So it was really timing. It was just that we nailed the music to what they wanted quickly. It never even got to the other people that could have shot us down. We, again, it's all luck. Ah. Well, I, I, again, I think you said it's much more than luck. There's a, there's a higher power at play there. But w- was this your first job? Was that your first gig for this new company? Yes. Really? And, and you've now have been the lead music for Good Morning America for now how long? Since the 2007, so it's seven years. Plus, we've done all the other new shows. This week, 2020, Nightline, uh, Would You Fall for That, a bunch of other shows that they've done, music for... Uh, the View, Revenge. So we've we've really done a lot with ABC. We've also done stuff for ESPN, commercials for Ford, IBM, Kodak. So you know, once you get that first job and you have credibility, people will actually talk to you. Wow, that's really incredible. A that that could be your first job, and then B what you've been able to parlay that into. Uh, so that's really really interesting to me. And just walk through. And I'm not looking for any details uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But walk through for people who who might not have even known that people charge for intro music to to shows and theme music and everything else like that. Sort of what that industry looks like. To me, it's fascinating. Um, If you're a business person, you'll probably listen to what I'm about to say and tell me I'm absolutely crazy for being in this industry. When you do music for a big network or for a big ad agency, they come to you and say, this is what we need. Um, Sometimes they tell you how much they're going to pay you. Sometimes they don't tell you how much they're going to pay you. Um, they basically just say, hey, this is what we need. You haven't seen a contract yet. You don't know terms. You basically are doing everything on the hope that you're going to get the job because you're usually competing with other people at the same time. So, you know, with ad agencies, it's a little more structured where there is money for a demo version. But when you work, when we work with ABC, it's really, it's about trust. It's, um, you know, they give it to us as long as we get it close and we can work with them. We know they're not going anywhere else. Some jobs, you know, you think, you know, doing music for like ESPN, you know, the, the couple notes in the beginning that everyone knows, you know, the da da dum, you know, pays a lot. You can get like $500 for that. You can get $5,000 for it. It depends on the show, the budget. If they switch last month and then someone leaves and they have to switch it again, there's no money in the budget for it. But when you work with these big companies like ABC, you're working, because it's ABC and, you know, the ability to work with ABC and then move around to the different departments, daytime, talk shows, um, you know, even the Disney theme parks, which we, we ultimately would love to do music for one of the rides, you know, that you're, it's a relationship. And, you know, their lawyers are looking out for you and your music and you've got sort of the whole legal team behind you. So it's you're not you're not as much a vendor as you become a partner with ABC. And as a partner vendor you then get paid a one-time fee there's a royalty how, how does that work just from a structure perspective so every every time it airs um i get a royalty so technically uh, i should be getting royalties for this for my time through my union i'm sure which i'm sure you're going to submit <laughs> without a doubt yeah but uh yeah every time things air on tv um and this is for actors too you know actors with voiceovers um a lot through the union you know every time things air there is a royalty or un- unions allow them to use the music for, let's say, three months before they have to pay you again. So, you know, the longer something goes on the air, the more money you make. A group like the Rembrandts, which did the music for uh, for Friends, mm-hmm. after that song, they do not have to ever work again, just from reruns and syndication. Um, you know, j- just all that money from those royalties, that's, that's really the real money. For writing the introduction song to a sitcom and one that had that level of popularity, to me, this is incredibly interesting. I want to remind our listeners that they're listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I'm your host, R.J. Lightstone, and you can listen to us on jmintheam.org or nachumsiegel.com. We are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. We are uh, very privileged to spend this hour talking to my friend Aaron Schoenfeld, uh, who's walked us through, to me, I think, a really interesting story. Uh, born as an entrepreneur, went a little bit into accounting, realized that uh, it doesn't fit the mold, and then uh, and then darts and a bar and playing music and what's Juilliard and, and ABC and Good Morning America and all those sorts of things. Just, just I'm not a guy who gets starstruck very easily, I don't think, but I was at an educational conference 
uh, already 10 days ago. And Shannon Sharp, who was a tight end for the Denver Broncos, was pitching an educational tablet, which I thought was a pretty interesting thing to have him pitch. So I was really excited. I cheered for him for like 11 years uh, when he played in Denver. So I went up to him. And I thought that was pretty interesting. You know, just from from all the shows that you've done, do you have a chance to interact with like the, the key personalities? Is that something that you care about? Is that... Um, for me, Starstruck is a completely different thing. You know, some people, it's the movie stars and all that. You could put me in a room with all movie stars. It's the guy who runs the company. You know, to me, that that's the most impressive. Um, you know, I was at a fundraiser for the Allen Houston Foundation. All the Knicks were there. I mean, I was the shortest guy in the room by a good two feet. And, you know, Jim Dolan and, you know, the other people, the executives from the hedge funds that were putting this together, you know, I was trying to talk to them while everyone else was trying to get, you know, autographs from Larry Johnson and stuff. And, you know, I, I find it, you know, the fact that Shannon Sharp is, you know, not only athlete, but what he's parlayed it into, mm-hmm. to me, that's more intriguing that he's, you know, it's these actors like Justin Timberlake, for instance. The biggest appeal of him and why people like him so much is when he wanted to get into acting, people told him, you can't act, you're a singer. So he said, you know what? I'm going to stop singing and I'm going to go act. And he did a good job of it. And now even his new album and, you know, not to get completely off topic, but he, he's crossed all the different genres. He's made a, he's makes a brand of himself. And to me, that, that's more exciting that he in in and of himself is a business. So Shannon Sharp, the same thing, you know, he's a businessman. He's a sports reporter and he's an athlete. Right. He, he's developed his own brand in a, uh, in a very meaningful way. So while we, while we've got you, so music is is only the tip of the iceberg in terms of what you've done, and and like many things entrepreneurial, um, I'm not positive if when you started the music you saw where this would take you today. And my guess is when we have you on in two years from now, where we'll we'll be talking about in two years isn't necessarily what you're anticipating now. But would you mind walking all of us through, please, sort of how you leveraged the business that you had created into doing some of the other things? And let's let's spend a couple minutes sort of talking about the state of entrepreneurialism and, and what you're doing now across, you know, that, that broad spectrum. Yeah. Well, you know, when I was in the, when I started the music company, I still didn't consider myself an entrepreneur and that word wasn't on my radar. Um, you know, I thought I had a business, I had a music company. Um, at that time, once someone invited me to an event, I went to an event, I met a guy, um, that was around the time I started dating my wife and she, she worked with someone, uh, she worked at a startup as well. So I introduced her boss to this guy I met again, you know, sort of serendipitous, but you know, we, we ended up starting New York Entrepreneur Week and New York Entrepreneur Week was a week long event twice a year, um, promoting entrepreneurship, um, guest speakers, pitch contests and things like that. At that point, I was really the front of it. I was the one getting the speakers, the VCs, the hedge fund guys, the investors, bringing them to the back, bringing the the big speakers there. And everyone goes, well, what do you do? And that was right after we start. We did our first music job. So, you know, my thing was, you know, I wasn't anybody famous or, you know, had that big successful exit. But I was like, oh, I have a music company and we do the music for ABC News. And, you know, that actually, you know, it gave some weight to myself and in the sense where people looked at me and said, okay, it's not just a intern or a volunteer. Um, so people actually talked to me and, and it, people held me in an esteem because I'm running this event as well. And now I had a company. So I sort of got to know everyone in the, you know, the entrepreneurial state in New York. And, um, you know, you, you asked about entrepreneurship now. I mean, that was just when entrepreneur was becoming a buzzword. Um, you know, since then, I mean, you know, that was, we did that twice a year for a week and that was the only event going on. Nowadays, if you want to go to an entrepreneur event, you go to type in entrepreneur in New York and there's about 18 events a night, um, from women, green, you know, co-working spaces. Yeah, it's really changed. And I think, you know, you see the New York City's running these ads for their programs now for entrepreneurship and everyone's trying to jump on the bandwagon. Um, you know, but I think that people have to understand, just like with my music company, there was, at that point, I thought I was a business owner. You know, entrepreneur, is, it's not a job. Um, you know, an entrepreneur is a type of person. But, you know, if you start a company, you are a business owner. So, you know, the state of entrepreneurship, I think it, the, the entrepreneurs as a whole, it, over time, the value of being an entrepreneur is somewhat diminished because you have too many people that's, that call themselves entrepreneurs but aren't actually starting businesses. Um, so I think that's the real challenge, which is it's great to go to these networking events and meet people and, you know, bring people around. But 
what are you actually doing? And being able to say that I created my own company and started a company, um, you know, means a lot more than just calling myself an entrepreneur. Okay. So, so part of what you're saying also is, is we've got a show called Tech Talk where we focus on technology and entrepreneurism that there is a lot of garbage out there that it requires some sifting in order to go through. And, and that, uh, you can be an entrepreneur in spirit and in mind and in, but if you, if you can't actually, you know, put the pencil to the paper, if you can't produce, if you can't ultimately develop a company, a product, whatever else it would be, the goal of entrepreneurship is not to wear it as a title because I'm currently unemployed. The goal is to wear it in order to go ahead and to develop a company to build something. That, that's really what it is. It's a type of builder. Is it, I don't, I don't know. Would you agree with that definition? Uh, I agree. It's someone that wants to build something that'll influence change. You know, I always joke when, when I started doing this and I tell people I'm an entrepreneur and my parents couldn't understand what the heck I was doing or, you know, if you ask them, you know, what does Aaron do? They'll be like, we're not sure, but talk to him. Um, you know, having a company behind it is something that they could say, Aaron has a music company. Aaron does this. It's something tangible. Um, and I think that that makes a huge, huge difference. And again, you could be an entrepreneur without a business, but it doesn't really get you anywhere. Entrepreneur is a mindset. It's someone that wants to create change and foster change through innovation. And maybe it's technology. Maybe it's not technology. Um, it could be with you know, physical products. But, you know, I think it, it is that mindset. And it's someone it's a real go getter and someone that wants to do stuff, um, not just, you know, say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. No, that makes sense. So, so when you were doing New York Entrepreneur Week back before it was sort of the trendy thing to do, and, and you know, as, as we're on the same social media uh, networks, if you will, I do see all the information that you're pushing, and I appreciate that you send out the, the good, and I imagine eliminate most of the bad, but even the good, there's, there's plenty of it. And, and uh, you know, I think there's a lot of exciting things to go to, and I think there are a lot of wonderful niches um, that people can be a part of. Uh, what are the things that you've gotten involved with in addition to music that you're excited about? Um, some of, again, not just the the loft, your title of entrepreneurship, but from a practical company perspective, wh- what have you sort of invested both your time and your resources into right now that you're comfortable with sharing with us? Well, to your point about finding events and you know seeing where to go, um, one of the problems that we found when we were running these entrepreneur events is that there are a lot of sites that have a lot of good and a lot of bad, and there's really no way to filter it because there's each site has a different purpose. One has, you know, you have your community page, you've got your blog, you've got your events, and everything works kind of, you know, frag, it's a fragmented event space. So the idea came up um, that I put sort of put on paper was taking all these different elements and putting it into one big box or platform. Um, and that actually is a site called Do It In Person, which we launched sort of as a result of the Entrepreneur Week. It was, you know, the way to solve my own problems. Um, we were very lucky to meet a uh, K-Web Angels or Hey Kesarian from Australia, who has a web development company and launched K-Web Angels to invest in startup ideas through web development and mobile development. And he invested in my company. Um, you know, they, they did all the development, built it from scratch. We're on our second beta version already. Um, and, and it's been really great. You know, we really, it's an event platform. People can register for events, create communities that are tied to the events, have organizations that are involved in the events all in one place so that you can really measure the analytics of your event from all the different sides of it. And, you know, K-Web's been an incredible, uh, incredible resource, not just from a development standpoint, but also from a, you know, a knowledge standpoint. So I'm going to recommend to the audience that's out there listening that uh, you might have just, you know, you hear lots of different things and you're trying to think how it's applicable to you. So many of us don't have our own radio shows, um, although I say that a little tongue-in-cheek over here, uh, but many of us uh, certainly don't have our own TV shows or, and or control sort of the music that uh, that exists with that and don't own theme parks and, you know, have music for rides, although that would be pretty interesting. I'm a fan of Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, if you're able to do that song, that would be pretty cool. Um, but uh, many of us do have events, and I've used the uh, platform, we'll call it, that Aaron has built, doitinperson.com. I encourage everybody who uh, can go to the website, doitinperson.com, because whether you're organizing a singles event, you're organizing a charitable um, uh, dinner, or uh, or an auction or or something that involves getting people into a place, the logistics behind it, being able to analyze the analytics behind the entire event. It really is a very seamless platform 
that is pretty user-friendly and I think is something that adds professionalism, certainly to things that require professionalism in our professional lives, uh, but also to our not-for-profit lives, of which many of us are involved with. And, uh, and it's a way really to go ahead and to, and to leverage our time and our efforts. And I think that's something that, uh, that we should think about and, and invest in if we can in terms of trying to, trying to use it where we can. So I would encourage everybody out there to see doitinperson.com uh, for all of the events in your life. And I think you're going to find it pretty, uh, pretty pleasant, which is good. Uh, just while we're on the, the topic of getting some of the information out there, in case you do have a music studio or are looking on uh, producing some form of music, how do we contact you there, Aaron? Uh, dreamartist.com. Uh, it's Aaron, A-R-O-N, at dreamartist.com. Okay. So if anybody out there is interested in producing, having music produced for them, for maybe for a charitable event and maybe not, uh, knock yourself out. Please reach uh, Aaron at DreamArtist.com. I wanted to remind everybody that uh, you're listening to Tech Talk. I believe this is our 13th show on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Aryeh Lightstone. Uh, we'd like to thank Avrami for, uh, for enabling our show to uh, happen today. You're listening to the Nachum Siegel Network on NachumSiegel.com or JMInTheAM.org. We are sponsored and proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at Adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. We're here for the hour with uh, a special guest, Aaron Schoenfeld, who has uh, been nice enough to define entrepreneurialism, take us on a walk through how he got involved both in the music industry and then later on in event organization. And to me, I've had the privilege of going on a couple of different networking meetings, if you will, with Aaron, with some of my uh, friends, some of our guests that we've had on the show. One, one, one day, just as an aside, if I say it out loud, it'll probably happen. I'm looking forward to doing an update of some of the guests that we've had. I, I haven't received clearance to go ahead and, and to announce any of these things on the air, but I'm going to work on doing so maybe for our 20th show or our 25th show. We've now had three guests on our show uh, succeed in about a month of having been on the show, and I don't know if there's a direct correlation, but we'll take a little bit of credit for it anyways. Close out rounds of funding. We've had one company be bought already. It's it's really exciting to sort of see these things happen in in fairly short order. That doesn't mean it happens quickly for everybody, but it is, uh, you know, to me pretty interesting. Um, and I've had the chance to take Aaron around to meet some of these startup uh, buddies of mine. And uh, the best way that I describe him is he is LinkedIn prior to LinkedIn. That uh, that when he talks about having run New York Entrepreneurial Week and this uh, platform of doitinperson.com, it's because it's a passion. Uh, now, he's been able to find a way to monetize uh, some of those passions, but I believe objectively that if all he was doing uh, was the music business, uh, it's, it's a hankering for uh, Jewish geography on steroids without it being necessarily Jewish or geographical. It's, it's, it's the innate desire, I believe, and Aaron, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, to connect people who can add value to people's lives, and I think that's a really really special thing. So while you've been doing New York Entrepreneurial Week, getting involved with doitinperson.com, what else have you seen? What else are you excited about? What else are you doing? Well, I'm going to go back to something you said in the very beginning of the show, which is that you've spoken to people that sort of drill down with one thing, and you've spoken, you know, I'm sort of the opposite of that, which is I'm, I'm involved in a whole bunch of stuff. And I'll get to the different things in a minute. But, um, you know, one of the things that I realized through Entrepreneur Week and even building doing in person is you really are only as good as your network. And I've been very lucky to be part of organizations such as the Young Entrepreneurs Council um, and, you know, these Entrepreneur Weeks and various other things that I've built a network, a national network of incredible entrepreneurs, business owners, investors. And, you know, for me, you know, running a business is great, but yeah, not that I don't want to do the day-to-day or get dirty, but I like strategy. I like connecting people. I like taking two completely different ideas and people that are looking for things and figuring out how to bring it together. So I've really you know, tried to become more of a connector. And sort of part of that, and even with do it in person, you know, I have an investor that's invested in our company. And you know, some investors will look at it and be like, wait, you're not only working on do it in person. That doesn't work for us. You know, one great thing about Hague Kaysarian from K-Web Angels is he looked at it and said, Aaron, you're building a great network, so we want you more involved. And, you know, I, I mentioned this to you briefly before, but I'd also like to announce that I've been uh, appointed the entrepreneur in residence for K-Web Angels. So, you know, 
not only am I working on doing it in person, but now I'm, I have the ability or, you know, my job is to work with the other portfolio companies and make the connections for them as well so that, you know, they can grow from, you know, the point where they, KWeb built it for them. And now, Hey, how do we get to Cleveland? How do we get to get California, Chicago? And I can open up my database and, you know, I'm really tasked with, you know, taking all my connections and, you know, applying them to the companies and, uh, you know, even to KWeb to get them out there. So for the audience who's not aware of what that's like, I just want to paint a little bit of a picture. So I was uh, listening just on the way in, and uh, uh, there was some guy who was, who was uh, on the radio who was explaining that he's got the best job in the world because he's a sportscaster, and he grew up with a passion for sports and now gets paid uh, in order to basically watch and, and to comment about sports. That's really what Aaron's describing right now. He has a passion to connect. He has a passion to, to strategize. He has a passion to um, – Combined strategizing and connecting, and uh, and now has uh, received a, a pretty prestigious appointment in order to really be able to do that, which is which is pretty exciting. And uh, so so Mazel Tov and congratulations, really, from all of us here at the Nachum Siegel Network. We're excited, and you'll continue to feed us um, the appropriate entrepreneurs and technology experts in order to to bring on um, to the radio. Just as a, as a quick pause, we started last week, and I'd like to go two weeks in a row. We try to mention people who have sort of gone above and beyond uh, in terms of uh, the Israel component of technology and entrepreneurship. So last week we spoke about Scarlett Johansson uh, and her role in uh, in SodaStream. I'll tell you, just having gone around with Aaron, and, and this is, you know, it, sitting at various different meetings when he's the only yarmulke in the room, uh, it really is, is a nice tribute to see somebody out there to connect people or to mentor people not because there's necessarily anything in it for him or for his company. Now, oftentimes that there might be, but I've never seen a situation uh, in, in numerous meetings that now that we've attended where the first question has been, what does it mean for me at the end of the day? It's let's make the connection, let's make it happen. And if there can be something at the end of the day, that's a great thing. And I think I think that has value, and I think that that's a tremendous, uh, you know, Kiddush Hashem, as we would say. Um, and I think that that has value also, just as, uh, pointing to the Israel piece because I don't think we've actually interacted around Israel in any way, shape, or form yet. Uh, there's always time, please, God. But uh, but there was an interesting interview on BBC which had the head of Oxfam uh, have a small debate with the CEO of SodaStream. And if you haven't done that, Google that or YouTube that or however it is that somebody finds that. And uh, I thought it was a very poignant uh, uh, interview. And uh, and I'm going to encourage all of our listeners again out there via Twitter, via Facebook, via email, via whatever else it is. If you don't own a soda stream, go out there and buy a soda stream. If you haven't tweeted uh, to Scarlett Johansson or to the CEO of uh, of uh, and we don't get this is an unpaid commercial, but uh, but to me to be able to stand up to Oxfam and to stand up to the BDS movement and to do this because uh, it makes sense. I'm sure there are people who are making money, but let's help them make more money. And and I happen to like SodaStream, so let's uh, let's keep doing that. Uh, remember that there is an oftentimes a strong connection to technology, entrepreneurship, and, and the state of Israel, and where we can be supportive of that, we'd like to continue to be supportive of that. Okay. Anyway, so so back to uh, uh, your prestigious and, and exciting announcement. We're very excited for you, and you have an opportunity from that standpoint. What are you most looking forward to with with this new position amongst your other positions that you have? What's what's the most exciting part? I just love working with entrepreneurs and ideas, and you know I've uh, you know I, I've known about a lot of the ideas in the different companies in the KWeb portfolio. There are a couple that I really really like. Um, one or two of them are people that I've actually introduced to KWeb, and that have gone through the process and been selected. So. You know, again, the, the more importantly, you know, at the early stage when someone has an idea, uh, an investment company is investing in the idea, in the idea, but more importantly, the entrepreneur behind it. So the ability to work with other great entrepreneurs and guys that really are passionate about, you know, building a business or, you know, how it works, you know, to me, that's the most exciting. Okay. And, and tell me for a minute, because I had the chance to visit you in your office, uh, if you'll call it an office. Um, uh, maybe two weeks ago. Just tell us a little bit about that. We had on uh, one of our guests from Launch House in Cleveland, which described one type of these co-working experiences. Right here in New York City, you're in the middle of, of another one, and, and and it seems so much fun and, and, and really exciting. It seemed like a place that Aaron Schoenfeld belongs. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, since there is no Launch House uh, you know, in New York, and for full disclosure, I'm involved with Launch House as well, but um, I work out of co-workers on 23rd and Park, um, Shlomo Silver, and Eric Steiner have put together 
a really incredible space. They've gone around, they've really done their research on all the different co-working models and, you know, office spaces and, you know, temporary space. And they really found sort of the best of everything and they put it together. Um, you know, they have two floors. I think they're almost at full occupancy on those. They're hopefully taking another floor now. Um, really it's just good companies, good people. Um, it, it's really a collaborative environment. You know, everyone's walking around talking to each other. Um, you know, glass walls so people see through, but you know, things like that really can help foster thinking, you know, innovation and a lot of partnerships. So maybe you can tell me or, or give me some advice in this case. I've now been in a couple of the co-working environments, and I found that every time there was a personal phone call that I was going to take, while I wasn't working with any of the people in those working environments, I thought twice about picking up the phone. And I thought that was interesting only because I anticipated co-working to be much more informal. And at that point in time, maybe because of the proximity that we have to each other, I'm like, wait, if this isn't a business call – Maybe I won't pick it up. That was just my gut. I'm not saying that was right or it was wrong, but but have somebody who actually works there tell me about that. Oh, my philosophy on that's a lot different because one thing that I've learned in business is, you know, especially with connections and the people you want to build connections with, it's often the little details that you can pick up that can make or break a relationship or a potential business deal. Um from a little thing like when we were working with ABC, hearing the vice president mention, or it was in an email chain, something about planning his kid's bar mitzvah. Now, he's not religious or anything, and I know he's from Boston, you know, and we sent his kid a bar mitzvah present. That goes a long way. Sometimes you hear people talking about, you know, it, so just talking to their wife about struggle with something, and, and you may have advice. And for me, I mean, I take all phone calls, you know, wherever I am. Um, you know, look, my computer screen's there. I check my bank accounts and all stuff there. I don't know what people know about me, but, um, you know, the NSA is watching anyhow. So, uh, yeah, I'm not too worried, but you know, I, I think that type of environment, it also depends on the type of person, you know, you're not going to close a VC deal sitting amongst, you know, 45 people, but you know, at, at a certain point, you just, you know, I keep my headphones on with my music. I get a call. I take it. You know, if people there really wanted to keep it private, they would take one of the office spaces there. Um, you know, I've since moved into an office, but I always keep the door open. You know, to me, it's it, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I am my brand. You know, my personal life comes with that. Um, so, you know, if it's really personal or something, yeah, I'll walk outside. But for the most part, I mean, there's nothing I'm discussing there that you know, others can't hear. So that's interesting. Okay, I guess it's that, you know, I sort of come from a much more, you know, closed door working environment, either in the not for profit or in the real estate world. Uh, so to me, that was interesting and it's exciting. Well, to I hear started your... in that in accounting. So I guess this is me rebelling against the system. <laughs> well, neither you nor I can grow our hair out all that much. So maybe this is our different way of rebelling. So that's yep. okay. Um, so, you know, you explaining a little bit about or a lot about this co working situation and environment. Let me ask a separate question. Maybe it's one. That I know that it's not maybe it's one that my my mother's raised having listened to to several of the shows and she's like this entrepreneur stuff is fun this startup stuff is fun even the co-working stuff she seems is pretty cool is this something that we can do when we're like adults you know what I'm saying is this is does does it it seems like a very young industry is this something that's going to grow with us are we going to eventually close doors is that going to happen or or do you think this is really a change in the culture of how industry is going to work. Um, you know, not to get political, but there is a political environment out there that makes it very hard for big businesses to have a lot of employees from tax side and, you know, all, all these different things. And what you're starting to see is a lot of companies sort of downsize and make a lot of their people independent contractors. So for instance, you know, I, I have a sister-in-law who worked for a group that, um, manages where they, they publish a lot of different magazines. So when all these different laws came out, and it could be state laws, it could be federal, um, they basically downsized to their immediate staff needs, you know, their CFO, their publisher, all that. And everyone else that runs each individual magazine was basically cut out and said, you're an independent contractor now. You'll get your 1099 or whatever it is at year end. So, yeah, they work for a company and they're getting paid by the company as an independent contractor. But they're also doing side jobs. And you know, they're entrepreneurs in and of themselves. Um, you know, I, I just think that the way we're growing as a society, it's sort of the opposite of the industrial revolution. The industrial revolution, the original one, you know, created jobs because you, you brought all these things together, manufacturing, you needed labor, you hired people. 
we're sort of having the second industrial revolution now, which is, okay, we invented machines last time. Now our machines are doing everything that humans can do, so we don't need humans anymore. So people are getting laid off. So people are sort of forced to become entrepreneurs. They may have worked in a manufacturing plant for 20 years. Now they have no job. So they start a consulting business and consult people on manufacturing. So there's no entrepreneurship isn't about age. It's about opportunity. Um, starting a business is about finding it. If you're laid off and can't find another job and you can start a business, go start a business. Kids come out of college, you can't find the job. So they're becoming entrepreneurs. Again, it's much easier when you're, you know, 21 years old. You can still live at home. You're on your parents' insurance to start a company. If you're, you know, married with four kids and you actually have bills, you're paying for, you know, whatever it may be, you know, the private school tuitions. You can't afford to just stop your job. And I know people that have had great ideas tried to raise money, but they're trying to raise money to pay themselves a salary so they can start their idea, which doesn't work. Right. VCs are very anti wanting to pay somebody, even the CEO, a significant amount of money for an idea that hasn't yet proven itself out. And if you look statistically, I think that's one of the reasons why in our community there aren't, perhaps there's a disproportionate amount of people who have not yet taken that step. While in Israel, where both the cost of education and insurance, etc., is sort of subsumed in in Israel, and there's a different concept of living, you know, uh, with overdraft, I think is might be might be a distinct difference in between in between the two just at, at our at our uh, several minute mark left in the show wanted to remind everybody that uh, you're listening to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel network uh, you're listening here to RJ Lightstone and you can listen to us on the jmandtheam.org or nachumsegel.com as always we are proud to be sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera more than just a camera store please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street We've had the privilege and real pleasure of having Aaron Schoenfeld on with us for this segment. And as we begin into the wrap-up stage of the segment, I wanted to highlight some of the lessons that I've learned and some of the lessons that I'm sure Aaron would want to impart to uh, to some of the listeners that are out there, both uh, parents of friends of or entrepreneurs themselves who are looking to sort of take that next step. But before we get to that segment of the show, Aaron, is there anything else from an industry perspective that you're ultimately excited about. I know we've spoken about, you know, fashion and sports and so many different ways that you've connected with these people. Is there, is there sort of like a, you think this is next or something that you want to share with the audience? Um, one of the other projects I'm working on is a company called Tons Entertainment. Um, I've been reading a lot about this, the music industry. There's a lot, there's a lot of opportunity for disruption, um, you know, the different genres of music are that people listen to are it's evolving. You know, you always have your classic rock, but there's a lot more electronic stuff um, and that goes with technology. So there's a lot of room for you know tech advances there on um, the way music is used, tracked. I think music is a very, very big space. And I think really, you know, the two spaces that are primed to be disrupted, if anyone could ever figure out how, education and healthcare. I mean, you know, people say Obamacare, you know, is a disruptive, you know, I don't know what you want to call it, but, you know, for better or for worse, Obamacare is there. But I think, you know, the system, um, you know, sort of even how medical files are kept and, you know, streamlined or things like that. And, you know, education, God, everyone in the Jewish community knows about that, you know, with ways, trying to figure out ways to cut costs and improve tech, uh, technology for education. I think those industries are really, really primed for disruption. Um, there's a lot of bureaucracy around them, so that makes it harder. But And that might be the common denominator in between healthcare and education is that you have that blend in between, and there's certainly, uh, you know, the old professions and, and legacy and, and, you know, expectations of nobody wants to sacrifice uh, anybody, uh, you know, at the altar of improving health care or of education. Who wants to be that sacrificial lamb to try out that new experiment or to try out that new experiment in an educational point? And I, I think that's an interesting, an interesting point from a macro level in terms of those industries desperately need disruption. There are large obstacles, but that probably makes the reward that much sweeter uh, once they're able to be disrupted. Just tell us a little bit more about Tantz, uh, the company, for a second. Uh, so it was formed out of uh, our Entrepreneur Week in Cleveland. So it's called Forward City is the group that runs these entrepreneur events around the country. And we did it in partnership with Launch House in Cleveland. And we basically, you know, talking about music innovation, we found a Grammy-nominated musician named BT who's done music for Fast and the Furious and some other stuff. But he does electronic music. Think about it like a DJ. 
So, but what he's realized, and he's an innovator and a tech guy as well, anytime he can't do something with the equipment that's out there, he partnered with a tech company and a product company that actually creates the technology to do it. So we brought him in to speak at the Forward City in Cleveland. Um, he spoke about entrepreneurship and innovation. And then at night, um, he threw a big party at one of the clubs there. Um, so a lot of people came. So we decided that there's definitely a unique experience that can be created to connect musicians and the audience and create a, a real experience. It's not just you go to a concert, you go to a club. There's an experience that you're able to you know, really learn about the musician, what sort of what drives him and what made him. So we created this company, Tons Entertainment, and you know we're rolling that out now. With we have a lot of plans for this year in 2015, but um, you know we're really trying to find the right musicians, not just any musician, ones that we can create an experience around. And it's interesting because I guess the the form of electronic music, of which I know less than anything about, uh, involves not only creating this new type of music that obviously couldn't have existed X period of time ago because the technology was out there, but this is apparently a forward enough thinking person who's trying to create the product in order to elevate the industry that he's in. That's a good but guy. Just, just like my music company, I've never heard uh, electronic music before we actually did this first concert. Uh-huh. Okay. Is, are you into electronic music? Not at all. All my friends say, what do you do at the bars when he's playing? I said, I have a beer. Okay. <laughs> guess that makes sense. We're not going to watch the Broncos now. Anyways, um, in the uh, in the couple of the very couple of minutes that we've got left, can you share maybe one or two um, values that somebody who is going to stretch themselves thin, because you are stretched thin, and anybody who's doing your schedule is going to be stretched that way, uh, values that, that enable you to balance the home life or enable you to, to sort of keep your eye on what's next. Uh, what what enables you to do this? We spoke, we started the show with, you know, how you got that letter from Arthur Anderson, you got to keep the signing bonus, but how you, know, jump back up and, and ready to go. Share with our audience just maybe one or two thoughts that uh, that can prepare them uh, as entrepreneurs or family members of entrepreneurs. This is a tough one, but um, I'm sure you'll agree with me, a supportive spouse. Um, not everyone is made for entrepreneurship. Not everyone can handle the risks. Um, your tax returns tend to look like a roller coaster. Um, you never know if they'll go up the next year. Um, you know, I was blessed to have met someone that worked at startups and, you know, they, her first company had an exit and they were very lucky. And she actually supported me through starting my music company, um, because she understands entrepreneurship, believes in, you know, startups. And that's really, you know, go big or go bust type of thing. So I always say we're going to live in a huge house or a box, but she's on board for the ride. So I think that's, that's first and foremost. And the second thing, and this is not just entrepreneurship. This is life. Honesty. Um, you know, I talk about connections all the time. Millions of people talk about connections. Many people say I can introduce you to here or there. And if you can't follow through, you can't. If you don't know the person, just say you don't know the person. Um, you know, I've built my personal brand on being able, if I tell you, you know, hey, I, I got a great entrepreneur you need on your show. When he comes on, he's going to be a good good person to be on your show. Um, you know, I know great entrepreneurs that wouldn't be good on radio, but really understanding it and being honest with people and saying, I know this, I can help you with this. Know what you know, know what you don't know. You know, if you ask me to help you with the what your website looks like, I don't know. I'm the wrong guy for that. But if you tell people, you know, they appreciate it, you tell them what you do know, they'll come back to you in the long run. With the exception of somebody wants to start a music business with you who went to Juilliard. Then you just buy music production for dummies. There you go. And, and to me, I think that's a what's it called. I think the balance of, of, of not the balance. No one never sacrifices honesty. I don't mean to put it out in that direction. But but with integrity and honesty, but what you don't know, don't fake it. Buy the book and learn it. And and I think if we can walk away from that, if it, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I learned that from you. It, it was a passionate idea. It was something that you were interested in. You didn't know exactly how to do it, but the first step was to buy the books. You read it, then you understood, and then you learned it. Watch a YouTube video. There's one for every profession. <laughs> there is a YouTube video for every profession. I wanted to thank uh, Aaron. Thank you so much for uh, for coming in today, for spending the hour with us. Uh, uh, busy week. I know everybody's trying to cram more work into less time, especially with the, the snow and the weather and whatever else it would be. And you gave us, I think, in our audience a tremendous amount to think about, and you educated me. So thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Um, you are listening or you listen to Tech Talk on the Nachum Siegel Network. I am your host, Arye Lightstone. 
Thank you so much to Avrami for helping us out today. You are listening to us on jmlm.org or nachamsegel.com. As always, we are very proud to have been sponsored by our friends at Adorama Camera, much more than just a camera store. Please check them out online at adorama.com or visit them in person at 42 West 18th Street. Until next time, thank you for listening to Tech Talk. Have an outstanding day.